Well, how many of you would consider yourselves stubborn? Show of hands. How many of you consider yourselves stubborn? Most of us, right? Uh, we all have a little bit of stubbornness in us somewhere. Uh, according to one definition, to be stubborn is to have a dogged determination not to change one's attitude or position on something, especially in spite of good arguments or reasons to do so. So, you know, one, one way that I'm stubborn is that I, I've decided I will never coronate LeBron James as the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't care how many championships he wins. I don't care what he does. He's, he's not ever going to be the greatest. I'm, 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 I'm going to stick to that no matter what, no matter how many good reasons he gives me otherwise. Uh, when we lived in Chicago, we would... Uh, use public transportation to get around, and and so whenever we went somewhere, we had to wait for a bus or a train, and sometimes you had to wait a long time for these buses or trains, so long that it was faster to walk to where you were going, and you always had to decide, you know, kind of see how long does it say it's going to be, and then should we walk or should we wait, and I just decided, just in principle, at one point in my time there, that if I start waiting, I'm going to wait. Don't care how long it takes, I'm gonna wait. Even if it remember Chicago, six months of the year, it is frigid, cold, blistering winds, and I just decide if I start waiting, I'm gonna wait till that bus gets. No matter how long it takes, no matter how cold, and I forgot if I get frostbite, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna wait until that bus gets here. That's that's stubbornness, right? We we say we're gonna we put our position down, we put our feet down, we're not gonna change our mind no matter how many good reasons there is. Now, no matter how stubborn you may or may not be in your day-to-day life, and we're probably all more stubborn than we realize, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we all at times struggle with stubbornness. We struggle with stubbornness in our walks with the Lord. We can be slow to seek God. We can be slow to hear God, slow to obey God, slow to confess to God, even when we know in our heart of hearts that these are the things we need to do. We're prideful and we're stubborn, and we just don't do them. You can open your Bible to the book of Jonah. Today's our second message in a new series, Runaway Prophet, Rescuing God. And last week we were introduced to this story in verses 1 through 3, and we we saw the Lord come to Jonah and give him this commission. He He came to Jonah and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And we saw last week that the Lord in, in that commissioning is showing himself to be a rescuing God. He's showing himself to be a God who sees Nineveh. And remember, Nineveh is evil. Nineveh is wicked. Nineveh does terrible things to the people that they conquer. They're Israel's enemy, but God sees them and he, and he calls his prophet to go to them to speak his word to them so that they might be saved from the judgment they deserve, so they might turn and repent and be saved. So he's a rescuing God. But what did Jonah do? He ran and fled the other way. He fled the presence of the Lord. He got on a boat that went as far in the other direction as he could go. It's a runaway prophet. Well, this morning we're going to see that Jonah was not just a runaway prophet. Jonah was a stubborn prophet. Jonah had set his course, and Jonah was determined to stay that course no matter what. But the good news for Jonah and the good news for us this morning is that God's determination to rescue us is far greater than our determination to run away from Him. God is more determined to reach us than we are to run. The text this morning is going to be Jonah 1, 4 through 6, but we're going to pick up in verse 1 and help us enter back into this story together. So read with me, starting in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Just to structure our passage today as we walk through it, uh, we're going to see four responses in this passage, a series of four responses that bring us through these verses. And the first response that we see is the Lord's response to Jonah. The Lord's response to Jonah. We see this in verse 4. What did the Lord do when Jonah ran away in disobedience? He sent a storm. He sent a storm. And this is no ordinary storm. Look at verse 4 again. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea. The ship threatened to break up. This text gives us a picture of God picking up the wind like a warrior would pick up his spear and hurl it onto the sea. Almost like he's hurling it at Jonah as Jonah runs away. And this storm is so severe, the ship is actually threatening to break apart. The ship is in danger of going down. This wasn't just any storm. This was a life-threatening storm. And what we need to see is that this life-threatening storm was sent by God. This storm is God's response to Jonah's sin. Now, why is God responding this way? A few possibilities. Did, did God need Jonah to fulfill his mission to Nineveh? Like, if Jonah had run, was God out of options? So, so he sends this to him and says, i got to get this guy back on track or else, or else I can't reach Nineveh. No, of course not. We need to consider the possibility that the Lord could have let Jonah run, Right? He could have just let Jonah run. The Lord could have found somebody else to go to Nineveh. He could have left Jonah to face the natural consequences of his decision to disobey, and he could have reached Nineveh with another prophet. But that's not what he does. So so what other option is there? Did Jonah make God, did Jonah just make God so angry that now God is out to get him? Is that what's going on? Jonah disobeyed, and, and, and God says, that's enough of that. I'm going to get him. I'm going to send the storm to him. Is this God flying off the handle at his prophet's disobedience? No, it's not. That's good. That's not what's going on here either. Let me remind you from last week, the book of Jonah is primarily about God's mission to Jonah. The book of Jonah is, is primarily about how God wants to rescue Jonah. It's about God graciously showing Jonah the sin in his own heart that he needs to be rescued from. So so this isn't God being angry at Jonah. This isn't God needing Jonah. This is God pursuing Jonah. 
Phase one of the rescue mission was last week where he calls Jonah to do something that he knew Jonah would not do. That, that set, the mo- set the mission in motion. But now comes phase two. God sends a storm. Not because he needs him, not because he's angry, but because he's gracious. He sends the storm because he is doing a rescuing work in Jonah's heart. Church family, God is still sending storms into our lives. And he isn't doing it because he needs us so much to do his will. He's not doing it because he's angry at us and wants to get us. God sends storms because of his rescuing love for us. He sends storms because we need to grow. He sends storms because we're prone to run away from him. Because we have sin in our lives that needs to be exposed. So God sends storms because he is doing something deep in our hearts. Now when I say... Storms, most of the time, these aren't literal storms we're talking about, right? When I say God sends storms into our lives, what, what we're saying is the fact that in God's providence, which is just God's control of all things, in God's providence, God brings us into situations and circumstances that threaten the life we want. In, in His providence, He brings us into something that we don't want to be a part of. Something that we're afraid of, something that feels threatening, something that feels dangerous, something that threatens our way of life. Something that makes us feel like the ship, threatening to break our lives apart. Maybe you find out there's something going on with your health. Maybe you lose your job and you can't find a new one. Maybe your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe a close friend hurts you. Maybe your child doesn't seem to respond to you. Maybe you can't find a way to get out of debt. Maybe you struggle with depression and loneliness. Whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance is, whatever it is that makes you feel like your life is threatening to break apart, all of these things are God-sent storms that he brings into your life because of his rescuing love for you. He's doing something deeper through these things, church. He's pursuing you. He's he's pursuing your rescue through these storms. The question is, how do we respond to the storms that God sends? And this leads to the second response we see in this morning's passage. We saw the Lord's response to Jonah. Now we see the sailor's response to the storm. The sailor's response to the storm. The thing is, Jonah is not the only one in the boat, is he? There are these mariners too, these sailors, and God has a plan for them too. Let's look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So just to underscore this, if the description of the storm in verse 4 wasn't enough, the response of these sailors tells us how severe this storm was. Sailors live on the water, right? They're well acquainted with storms. They know how to navigate a storm, but not this storm. This storm is different. This text tells us that they were afraid. They, they were afraid they weren't going to make it. They were afraid the ship was going to break apart. They were going to drown at sea. So what do they do with their fear? What do they do with their fear? They turn to their gods. They turn to their gods. The text tells us that each cried out to his god. So apparently you have an international polytheistic crew of sailors, each with their own god, and they start crying out to their gods, praying to their gods, rescue us, save us. 
And what do these gods do for them? Absolutely nothing. None of their supposed gods is listening. None of their gods comes to their rescue. The storm continues to rage. And so with their gods failing them, their gods silent to them, they they turn to themselves. And they they begin trying to save themselves. They begin hurling all their cargo out of the ship. Now think about this. This is probably precious cargo. This is their livelihood. This is their job to get this cargo from where they were to where they're going. And and they realize this is life or death. It's not worth it. It doesn't doesn't matter if we save the cargo. We're going to die. So they start throwing it all overboard. It's a frantic scene of everything just being tossed into the ocean as the storm rages, as the ship threatens to break apart. They're fearful, they're desperate, their gods aren't listening, and they're trying frantically to save themselves from this storm. Now, now these are lost pagan idolaters, right? And their their response to the storm is, is how those who are lost respond to storms, even today. Like the sailors, people are afraid. Storms come in their lives, and they're afraid. Their lives are being threatened. Their way of life is being threatened. And so what do they do? They call out to their gods. They turn to the idols in their lives for salvation from the storm. Maybe they turn to money. Maybe they turn to success. Maybe they turn to career ambitions. Maybe they turn to relationships. Maybe they turn to politics. Maybe they turn to religion, security, health. Whatever it is, they, they call out to their gods. They're seeking salvation from something, from this storm that comes into their lives. It's threatening their lives. And, and, and when those things don't deliver, their lives just turn frantic. They do everything they can to save themselves, everything they can to get out of the storm they're in. Their lives become characterized by this frantic effort to gain control in the midst of a storm they can't control. Isn't it interesting? Even today, we can't control the weather. I mean, technology does a lot for us, but we can't stop a hurricane. We can't stop a tornado. Now what we need to see here is that even though this kind of response characterizes those who are lost, we who know the Lord are still prone to respond this way when storms come. Aren't we? When God sends storms into our lives, what's most often our first response? Our very first response when a storm comes is fear. Right? We're afraid. And in that fear... We try to figure out how to regain control. We try to figure out how to save ourselves. We try to figure out how to make the storm go away, how to keep ourselves from what God is doing. Instead of turning to the Lord, we turn to idols for salvation. Instead of trusting in the Lord, we become frantic. We do everything we can to save ourselves. Our goal when storms come is get me out of this storm. Whatever cost, get me out of the storm. I don't want to be in this storm. This storm is threatening my way of life. We know the Lord. In our minds, we know that He is sovereign and He is good. But when storms come, we act as if He has no control, and we act as if it's up to us to make our lives good. We respond just like the sailors. Now, of course, the sailors weren't the only people in the boat. This is a story about Jonah. And so what's Jonah doing during all of this? What is Jonah doing? Our third response in this passage is Jonah's response to the storm. What is Jonah's response to this storm? Look at the end of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So while the pagan sailors are above deck, fearing for their lives, crying out to their gods, throwing the cargo overboard in a desperate effort to save themselves, Jonah is below deck, 
sound asleep. What, what are we to make of this? Was, was Jonah just really tired in a deep sleep, unaware of what was going on? If they would just come wake him up, would he just join exactly what they were doing? I think the picture the author is giving us is a little bleaker than that. Look back up at verse 3. I want you to notice something with me. It starts in verse 3. Look at how the author of Jonah portrays Jonah's action. It says, He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. And then look down in our verse in verse 5. It says, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep over and over again. He's, he's saying Jonah went down and he went down and he went down and he went down. Jonah is, is spiraling downward here. He is on a downward descent away from God. And all the way to the point where now he's just sleeping on the bottom of the ship. And the author is doing this to show us where his heart is. He's not just asleep. Jonah's apathetic. He's apathetic to the storm. He's apathetic to the sailors. And he's apathetic to God himself right now. He, he is completely closed off to his God while the sailors respond by doing everything they can to save themselves, Jonah's response is to not respond at all. Now, at this point, I think we need to follow me here. We already saw that we are like the sailors in one respect, right? When storms come, we get afraid, we get frantic, we turn to idols, we try to get out of the storm as much as we can. So we're like the sailors, but at the same time, we need to see that we also tend to respond like Jonah, in a completely different way. We are both the fearful sailors and the sleeping prophet in this story. You see, on one level, we respond by doing everything we can to save ourselves from the storm, but at a deeper level, we remain asleep to what God is really doing. I think Jonah's sleep is a picture of Jonah's relationship with God at this point. He, he is apathetic to what God is doing. He is apathetic to God's purpose in the storm. And we get like that. We want to get out of the storm, but we don't want to acknowledge that God has sent this storm for a purpose. We don't seek Him in the storm. Spiritually speaking, we just go down into the boat and we fall asleep. So, so on one level, we're frantically trying to save ourselves. We're trying to get ourselves out of these storms. But as far as our relationship with God goes, we, we, don't, we don't want to know what is God doing. We don't want to know why did God send the storm. We, we just want to sleep on that. Because we, because we just want to get out of the storm. We don't care about what he's doing. We're apathetic to him. And this leads us then to the final response in these verses, the captain's response to Jonah. The captain's response to Jonah. So the captain sees what's going on. He, he realizes that this extra passenger is under, down below sleeping. So the captain came and said to him, verse 6, the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So when the captain realizes that their extra passenger is just sleeping through the storm, he goes to wake him up and he rebukes him for his apathy. He says, he says how can you sleep through this? How are you sleeping? We're about to die. And he says, call out to your God, just like we're calling out to our gods. Now to the captain, this is a last-ditch effort to be rescued from the storm. None of their guys were listening, but maybe this guy's God will listen, right? The captain's words, arise, call out to your God, are very familiar to the wor words that the Lord himself spoke to Jonah in verse 2. 
arise, call out against Nineveh. That, that same echo, arise, call out, arise, call out. He says, arise, call out to your God. He speaks better than he knows here. These are the exact words that Jonah needs to hear in this moment. Arise, call out to your God. Arise, call out to your God. See, what the captain doesn't realize is that it's indeed Jonah's God who has sent the storm, and that he has sent it because Jonah is running away from him in disobedience, and he doesn't realize that Jonah doesn't just need to arise and call to God to rescue him from the storm. Jonah needs to arise and call out to his God for rescue from himself, rescue from his sin, rescue from his heart. Jonah needs to arise at that level. He needs to call to God for that rescue. This is why God sent the storm into Jonah's life so that Jonah would stop running away, so that Jonah would arise and call out to him. And church, this is why God sends storms into our lives. Through the storm, this is the call of God. Arise and call out to me. Stop running away and call out to me. Stop trying to save yourself and call out to me. Wake up from your spiritual sleep and call out to me. This is what God is doing through the storms. God sends storms into our lives so that we would call out to him for rescue, but not just from the storms, but from our hearts, from our runaway hearts, our sinful hearts, our idolatrous hearts. God sends the storms so that we would rise up out of our sleepiness, rise up out of our friendliness and say, God, we need you to save us. Not not just change our situation, but save us from what we're seeing in our own hearts. You see, here's how this works. God God brings a storm into our lives. He brings a form of suffering into your life. And your first response is you just want to pray to him, God, please save me from this suffering. Please save me from what's going on. Please help me in this situation. And that's not bad. God says cast your anxieties on him. He cares for you. God wants us to pray to him at that level. But as that storm comes into your life, you know what you begin to realize? You begin to realize, I don't trust God the way I thought I trusted him. You begin to realize that I don't want God's will the way I thought I wanted God's will. You begin to realize I don't love God the way I thought I loved Him. You begin to see other idols in your life. You begin to see sins that you cherish and idols that you cherish. And this storm is the occasion to see those things. And so God sends this storm to show you you need a deeper rescue. Church, there's never a storm that God will send into your life that isn't for a deeper purpose. There's not. There's no random storms. God doesn't just fool around with us and send storms into our lives. God always has a deeper rescue that he wants to rescue us from. We, we, we may not always have, be, like Jonah, there's not always a specific sin that we commit, and it's not always a direct response to a specific, specific sin, but it is always to help us grow to help us turn from more sins. We always have hidden sins in our hearts. And God, these, these storms are always to help us grow, to help us call out to Him. A storm, a storm is God saying to you, arise, call out to me. That's what God says to the storms. Now here's the thing, from what we can tell, Jonah didn't heed the call. We know how Jonah's story goes. He says, throw me overboard once they realize it's him. And he goes down and, and 
hits the bottom of the sea before God swallows him with this big fish. The, the big fish swallows him that's sent from God, and, and then he finally acknowledges the Lord. But, but things are going to get a lot worse for Jonah before they begin to get better. He's going to keep going down. It's amazing. You look at the text, and, and, he, and he says, Arise, you sleeper, call out, call out to your God. And, and what is Jonah's response to the captain? It's, it's just a non-response. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He's a runaway prophet, and he's a stubborn prophet. And his, in his stubbornness, things are only going to get worse. And this morning, church, I want to say, don't be like Jonah. Don't be stubborn. Understand that God is calling you through the storms in your life. God is saying to you, arise and call out to me for rescue. Don't be stubborn. Why don't we, why don't we do it? Why don't we call out to God for rescue? When he brings storms into our lives, why do we continue in our way? And why do we, why do we sleep to what he's doing? It's because we don't trust him. It's because we don't really trust him. I mean, how, how can you trust a God who would send these storms into your life? How can you trust a God who would let that happen to you? How can you trust a God that would make this his will for your life? We don't trust him. Here's how we can trust him, though, church. We need to remember that the same God who sends the storms also sent his son. The same God who sends the storms sent his son. The God who has brought your life into the storm you're facing is also the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, the one who has power over the storm. The God who hurls a great wind onto the sea of your life in his rescuing love is the same God who sent his son to die for your sins in his rescuing love. This God is totally sovereign He's completely good, and he's absolutely trustworthy. And when the storms in your life make you doubt that, look to the cross and know he sent his son. He gave it all. He has done the definitive rescue for me at the highest cost to himself. And even though this storm seems so bad, I know this is his rescuing love to me. I know he's pursuing me. So respond to the storm and arise and call out to this God. That's the music team to come up as we prepare to respond. And this morning, as they come and we respond, church, I want to encourage you to do this this morning. Do this now. Arise and call out to your God. I know some of what's going on in some of your lives, and there's other things that I don't know. I know that all of us have one storm or another. Going on. All of us have ways that God is pursuing us. All of us have, have hard situations that we're afraid what's going to happen. And, and, and we're, we're upset by what's going on. We want to we get out of it. But God is saying this morning to you, don't just try to get out of it. And don't just fall asleep to me, what I'm doing. But, but rise up right now and bring me your heart and call out to me in desperateness. We said last week that we have runaway hearts. We all do. We we are prone to wander and we do wander and we need rescuing. And God is saying, come and call to me for rescue. That's what he's saying through the storm. And so let's not wait to do that. 
just as we sing, as we worship, call out to him. And then, then as the service closes, call out to him by going to a friend, going to a brother, going to a sister, going to a pastor, going to a discipleship group, and, and, and saying, God is doing this in my life, and I'm calling out to him, and I want you to call out to him with me. Bring someone else into that with you. In the mornings, open your Bible and, and just come with a desperateness to God. Say, God, I need you to rescue me. And so I'm opening up your word because I need you. Because I got sin in my heart and I'm prone to wander and, and I'm going to sin and run away from you if I don't if, if you don't rescue me, Lord. And, and so just Jonah, at this point, this is what God I think is wanting to do in us, church. He wants us to be desperate for rescue. He has rescued us. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, He has rescued you from your sin. You have a glorious future in heaven through Jesus Christ as He died for you and rose again. But we need continual rescuing every day, and that is what God is saying to us through the storm. So don't sleep, and don't run, and don't try to do it yourself, and don't turn to other gods, but this morning rise up and call out to your God for rescue. Listen to these words from Psalm 32. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Let's stand and sing together.